Thank you, Steve. We're now going to hear from God's Word. Um, Isaiah 25 on page 500 of the Pew Bibles, read by Brad, and then Romans 5 on page 798, read by Rachel. Uh, the first reading is actually Isaiah 25, verses 1 to 9. So, a little bit of an error there. So, still page 500. <clears throat> o Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, you have done marvellous things. Things planned long ago. You have made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town a ruin. The foreigner's stronghold a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong people will honour you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against the wall, and like the heat of the desert, you silence the uproar of foreigners, as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud. So the, so the song of the ruthless is stilled. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. The second reading comes from Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 12, and it can be found on page 798 of the Pew Bibles. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous." The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, 
grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. If you're tempted to uh, close up Romans 5, uh, resist the temptation, reopen it. Uh, have it in front of you. This is our last look at Romans. If you've been uh, with us for the last little while, we've been working through the opening chapters of Romans. At some point, uh, we'll get and finish the rest of it, but uh, not in the coming weeks. Uh, it's been a great word. Uh, hopefully, it has been encouraging as well as challenging for you. Uh, we come uh, because the Word of God is living and active and powerful. That's why we spend time looking at it. Uh, and let's pray that God might be powerful uh, and active and alive as we look at it now. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we, we are thankful for the way in which you love us. We are thankful for the way in which you give generously to us. Uh, you give us so many blessings, both physical but certainly spiritual. We thank you that we can know you. Uh, and we thank you that you reveal yourself by your word and you apply your word in our hearts. And we pray that uh, you would take this word and put it deep in our hearts, that we would dwell upon it richly, that we would hide it away and it would be a word that brings us uh, comfort in the days and years to come. Father, we pray that you would change us by your word and speak to us this morning, we pray. Amen. Uh, some weeks you get confronted with death's dominance more than others. Uh, after coming back from uh, a holiday and the, the kind of bubble existence you live on holidays, that's been my past week. You know, you Maybe it's because you're kind of on holidays, or at least we kind of feel cut off from the world. You're not reading the news, you're not listening to it. You come back and, you know, the official declaration of famine in the Horn of Africa, uh, the suffering of millions in East Africa, uh, the terrorism attacks that happened in Norway just uh, in the past day. Uh, even John was sharing with me, um, Amy Winehouse, 27, passed away. Now, some weeks you're just confronted with death and its dominance more obviously. And it wasn't in the past week for me, just you know, unknown people on the other side of the world. I caught up with my mother, uh, who'd been to two funerals while uh, I'd been on holidays. One was a lady I'd known uh, really well in the church that uh, I grew up in. You know, and even connected to our broader church family, uh, there was the sad passing away this week of a young woman whose uh, heart transplant didn't go successfully. Now, we know that death is dominant, but some weeks just show it more obviously than others. And maybe you've had a week like that, and even if this week wasn't, you've had weeks like that. And what's been great for me is that at the same time, I've been spending hours reflecting on and being confronted with a passage about life's dominance, about life's dominion, that life, not death, is the final word. Um, as Isaiah put it, death will be swallowed up forever. And this final section of Romans chapter 5 uh, that was just read to us by Rachel, uh, it's all about a regime change. Put simply, death reigns in Adam, but life reigns in Christ. Uh, the, the way Paul goes about explaining it can seem a little convoluted at first, maybe as it was read you were kind of struggling to follow his logic because it is a little bit strange at points. He, he starts this idea in verse 12, um, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. So he, he gives this first part of a comparison, just as 
But then something kind of sparks off in his mind and he doesn't finish the other part of the just as setup. Uh, so in verse 13 and 14, he breaks off and he starts talking about the pattern of sin and death in this world. And then, then in 15 to 17, he starts making this comparison between Adam and Christ. And, and, you, and you feel like, I'm getting a little lost with where you're going, Paul, because it's not until verse 18 that he gets back and finishes the thought of verse 12. Verse 18, Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. Okay, verse 12 and 18, they're, they're the kind of key verses that hold his concept, his big idea together in this section. Uh, I, I point it out because I don't want you to get lost in the minutia and the logic of this passage. His wanderings might take you from seeing the heart of the passage. 12 and, 14, 12 and 18 put it clearly. It's regime change. That is, death reigns in Adam, but life reigns in Christ. One man's action brought death to many, but it gets overturned by one man's action bringing life and the gift of life to many. Added to the trickiness, Paul's dealing with with concepts of the world. He's not so personal in this section. In verse 1 to 11, it was really personal. There's lots of, you know, the personal personal pronoun we. Uh, Lots of, you know, we've been, you know, verse 1, we've been justified, we have peace. Verse 2, we have gained access by faith. Um, By my count, in the first 11 verses of chapter 5, there are 14 we's in those opening it's, it's really personal stuff but then in 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 12 to 21 it, there aren't any that section we just had read there are none it's done so that you know it's done in concepts so that we see that the grounding of all our personal assurance and hope and salvation and reconciliation it's all in an objective fact it's all in the fact that this whole world has been transformed there is a new regime and that changes each one of us Okay, again, I want to get back to There's one clear point. I'm just trying to clear the grass at this point so that we can understand what's going on in this passage. Uh, one clear point. While death reigns in, in Adam, life reigns in Christ. And whilst it's not overly personal, I do think it pushes us this morning that we need to have clarity about ourselves. Are you under the tyrannical rule of death in Adam or the gracious reign of Christ? And I do hope as we explore that, you will see real comfort. First, let's see, though, how death reigns in Adam. Because of the sin of one, the many under death's rule. Uh, In verse 12, um, he doesn't name the one man. Uh, It helps bring the comparison out with the one man in verse 15 who brings life. But but it's clear Paul has in mind the opening chapters of the Bible. Uh, In Genesis 2.17, Adam, which is just the Hebrew word for man, uh, Adam, man, is warned that if he chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, on that very day he would die. That is, if he decided he would take God's place and become the decider of what is right and wrong, from that moment he would introduce sin into the experience of humanity and with it he would introduce death. And that's exactly what happened. One man sinned and through him death suddenly had authority over all. Now, in Genesis, when it says death comes that day, it doesn't mean he physically stopped breathing at that moment. Because just as there's more to life than simply breathing, there's more to death than just your heart stopping. From that moment, death entered because humanity was cut off from the perfect relationship they had with God, the giver of life. From that moment, decay and suffering, the, the precursors of death became normal. From that moment, death gripped everyone with its bony fingers. One man's transgression brought death. 
spiritually and physically, to actually rule over everyone. Uh, the extent we see of death's reign is in verse 13 and 14. You know, it reigned even when there was no law in place. You know, all the law did, we're told in verse 20, is make trespass increase. Not in the sense that you kind of go, oh, I'll do more sin now that I know what I'm not supposed to do. But in the sense of it increased in that it made it more specific. It magnified what it was. Uh, when the law came in, it started giving names to those wrong things you were doing. Oh, that's called coveting, is it? I hadn't, I hadn't called it that before. I just knew I was kind of... No, that's in the sense that it made it increase. It itemized sin. You know, and death was so powerful, we're told in verse 14, that it ruled over those even who didn't sin exactly like Adam. That is, that they were under death simply because they were in Adam and connected to him. You know, the idea of, of choice and individual achievement is, is ingrained in us so deeply, we find it hard to accept how one man's transgression can change it for all of us, how it makes us all accountable. You know, Paul's logic is partly built on this kind of collective way of thinking. You know, in the same way that um, I'm an Australian because 200 odd years ago, one of my forebears nicked some stuff back in England. That's why I'm an Australian. You know, I didn't get a say in that. I just am. I mean, I'm thankful. Uh, I think it's a bonus and a blessing. But um, apologies to our English friends. In the same way, we, we are under death because of the first man's transgression. He changed it for all. But it's even more than just collective thinking. It's headship. You know, we are under his authority, we are connected. You know, when the Prime Minister declared war, uh, you know, or Australia was at war back in 1939, now admittedly I wasn't there, I don't remember it, but when he declared war, we didn't all get a say, Australians didn't get a say. He didn't go around and consult every Australian to kind of go, oh, would you like to go to war? No, no, a decision was made by one and everyone at that moment was at war. Every Australian was at war because the action of one man. The language of verse 12 is that we who are in Adam, that is, if you're a person, that's all of us. We were bound up in sin with him as our representative and our head. And so death ruled us. Paul's point is clear. Death reigns in Adam and death is a tyrant. Now let's be honest and clear. Life under death's reign is nothing less than terrible. Now I don't want us to underestimate that we... You know, Death might be normal because we see it happen lots, but it's not natural. Yeah, and we see death's tyrannical reign all over the place. Now, you may have seen it in the, the graphic images of starving children uh, in the Horn of Africa. Now, as uh, 12 million people at least are suffering the curse of famine, I think was in a specific uh, email I got asking for help. Yeah, and, and you look at those images and you see the tyrant death. And to pretend that it's anything less than offensive is wrong. Death is a tyrant. You know, my mother went to one of the other funerals. She went to uh, with someone last week who had no hope in Christ. Uh, and, the, and the celebrant there trotted out kind of platitudes. But you know, insubstantial promises can never cover over the, the fact that death is, is tyranny. And it's tyrannical whenever it happens. And, and we try and cover it up. Oh, I had a good innings. No, no. It's still sad. Um, read an interview, Lady Flo Bjorki Peterson was just interviewed uh, and she said of her late husband of 53 years, Sir Joe, I miss him, I miss his love. Now, even after all, death is still tyrannical whenever it happens and it's tyrannical in, in its lead up in sickness and ageing. Um, Anna visited uh, just this week a, a lovely couple she boarded with uh, in the past and it's tragic to see uh, a, a once strong, capable man is almost entirely shut off 
from others because he's now both deaf and blind. You know, it's tyrannical even in its spiritual form. You know, how it separates people to, from God to such an extent they don't even want to hear of him. Uh, I read this week of uh, legal action to try and stop a, a governor in the US endorsing a prayer meeting. You know, that's the sadness of being cut off from God. You know, and death reigns in Adam and death is an awful ruler and, and many in Adam suffer. And so praise God. Praise God that in Christ he has overturned the tyrant and ended that regime. Our second point, life reigns in Christ. From verse 15, Paul, Paul begins his comparison of death's reign to the reign of gracious life that Jesus brings about. You know, like the one man who trespassed, the one man Christ, his one action had this effect on many in verse 15. And, and, and the action of one man that brought in the original regime of death, so the act of Christ brought in this new regime. Verse 17, have a look at it. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ? Yeah, and, and in the same way, just as the act of one man determined the standing of many before God, so does the act of Christ. Verse 18, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all, so the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. That is, Adam's one act created his regime of death and left everyone condemned and sinful. It left us under tyranny, but, but here is where the similarities stop. Here is the great difference. Christ's one act of righteousness, that righteous act where he at the cross, the perfect man, bore our punishment, that act of righteousness, that one act, he introduced the reign of life. A new regime, a new realm of existence who are established for anyone and everyone who is in him. And the depth at which we enjoy this kind of life is amazing. Look again at verse 17. It's a strange verse because you would expect it to say, if death reigned through that one man, that life would reign through Jesus. But Paul doesn't say that. He twists it. Death reigned through that one man, and it is we who are in him. You know, we who have received the grace, we reign in life through Jesus. You see the depth of it? We actually share exactly what he has. We're not just under the rule of Christ. If you're in him, you are so deeply in him to a degree that your identity, our identity, and everything that flows from identity is found in him. You know, no other religion speaks of, of a connection with their leader that way. You know, Buddhists aren't found in Buddha. But Paul sees that shift from one regime to another can only be by being entirely linked to Jesus and everything that is his becomes ours and what's ours is his. Now, Martin Luther uh, used marriage as his illustration to capture what it was to be in Christ. Um, he described marriage as the happy exchange. That is, in the happy exchange of marriage, um, that which naturally belonged to one party now belongs and is given over to the other party and vice versa. Uh, so a couple I knew of went into marriage with um, polar opposite financial positions. Uh, he had a, a place, a, a flat. Uh, he was paying off his mortgage debt fairly comfortably. Uh, she was $40,000 in debt with absolutely nothing to show for it, uh, except perhaps a, a life lived beyond her, her, well beyond her means. The moment they entered that happy exchange of marriage, his apartment became hers, um, and her black hole of bad credit became his. You know, that's the happy exchange. That's what it is to be united to Christ, to be in him. You know, to quote Luther, um, the believing soul can boast of and glory in whatever Christ has as though it were its own. And whatever the soul has, claims, uh, has Christ claims as his own. 
Thus the believing soul, by the means of the pledge of faith, is free in Christ, its bridegroom, free from all sins, secure against death and hell, and, and he is endowed with the eternal righteousness, life and salvation of Christ, its bridegroom. By the wedding ring of faith, he shares in the sins, the death, the pains of hell, which are his brides. As a matter of fact, he makes them his own, and he acts as if they were his own, and as if he himself had sinned, and he suffered and died and descended to hell, that he might overcome them all. You get it? That, that's the happy exchange when we're in Christ. That's why we can reign in life in Christ, because he has taken our sin and death that we might have his righteousness and life. Everything he has is ours. Death reigns in Adam, but life reigns in Christ. And anyone who is in Christ shares that reign. And when you grasp that truth, three implications for us. First, there are two humanities. I want you today to be clear which one you are. Yeah, but by now I have the radically different situation of those in Adam and those who by grace are in Christ is really painfully clear. Um, Adam's work was a, a terrible beginning for humanity. But the Lord Jesus Christ offers to, to everyone in Adam the opportunity to find their identity in him. You don't have to live under sin's mastery and death anymore. It's a fresh start. New life, new identity, new beginning. That's why there's an old hymn that says, How sweet the, the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ears. It soothes his sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fears. Yeah, but remember, faith is the wedding ring to gain all that it is into being Jesus. You haven't had your identity reshaped and redefined by being united to Jesus. If you haven't taken his concerns as yours, just as he has taken your concerns as his, then you are still in Adam. And if you today are still only in Adam, please throw your light in with Jesus. And if you aren't sure, don't leave today without talking to someone. Because this really is a life or death decision. Will you stay under the rule of death or the reign in life with Christ? Because you're either in Adam or in Christ. Make sure you're clear which regime you're under. Secondly, second implication is that grace always reigns. Grace always reigns. The thread running through this section is the victory of grace. Paul mentions it first in verse 15, and he speaks of it as a gift. But if you look at verse 15, you see it's quite repetitive. God's grace and the gift, which is another way of speaking of grace, that came by the grace of one man that overflows, this abundant, uh, overflowing sense of it. You know, Death's reign is ended because God is a God of abundant love and grace. He gives extravagant, generous gifts. Uh, the same language is used again in verse 17. Um, someone tried to... Uh, describe the happy exchange of Romans 5 this way, um, that one single misdeed should be answered by judgment, that's perfectly understandable. That is, you know, people have sinned, they deserve judgment. That the accumulated sins and guilt of all the ages should be answered by God's free gift. This is the miracle of miracles, utterly beyond human comprehension. You know, we can't comprehend that God sees the sin of every person who's ever lived and, and that accumulated guilt, and yet he, he pours out this gracious gift and says, and I will give you life, though you deserve death. 
He gives it to people undeserving. You know, to, to claim life in Christ is not a claim to be fantastic or having broken sin myself or being perfect in any way. It's just pointing to his, his grace, his grace that, that triumphs over sin and death. That's the conclusion of verse 20. That's what we taught our kids in the kids' talk a little earlier. Where, what is it? Where sin increases grace? Oh, the kids were better than you were. Man, it super abounds. Thanks, Graham. Yeah, you can still see the oil and water over there. It's super about, it covers over it all. Where sin, my sin increases, his grace can overcome it all. Now, for some of us, I know we feel the weight of our sin so deeply. You know, we see before us, there's all these good works and we just let them go past and we don't do anything about them and we feel burdened. And if that's you, I want you to see the comfort that this gives. Yes, sin is serious, but grace is victorious. And no matter how many times I've failed, Grace covers it over. You know, righteousness and life are just God's extravagant gift. And even my weak efforts and great feelings can't, can't put a dent in this new regime of life in Christ that he brings. You know, grace always reigns. Thirdly, real life is only in Christ. Real life is only in Christ. To, to be in Christ is real life both now and to come. You know, it is real life in the now because... Because we're being reconnected to God, which is what we're actually designed for. That's what we're made for, to relate to him. Uh, It returns us and the world back to its proper state. Uh, Calvin put it this way. The proper state of creatures is to cleave to God. And formed into one body, we are united to God and mutually conjoined to one another. You know, it's being back in God. We're connected with other people probably as well as him. And he goes on and says, but without Christ, the whole world is, as it were, a shapeless chaos and frightful confusion. He alone gathers us into true unity. That is, to be outside of Christ is to still be under the mastery of sin and death. It means you're not living the way you're designed to. But, but to be connected to him means we can live life to the full because we're doing it how we were designed to, loving God, loving others. But even more than that, only in Christ is there real life to come. Yet we were made for life. Sin and death are unnatural. And that's a promise for those in Christ, that death does not have the final say. I was speaking to uh, Joey, uh, the man I referred to in our broader church family, who uh, it was his sister Hannah who passed away uh, this week after a heart transplant. Uh, she was strongly in Christ by faith. And they'd been reading this passage to her in the lead up. Because painful as it is to see her go, Death does not have the final word on Hannah. She reigns in real life in Christ. Death is swallowed up forever. Some weeks we're going to be confronted with death much more than others. And when those weeks come, how great is it that we can share the victorious reign of life in Christ? Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we... I'm so thankful for your grace. We thank you that you saw the sin of humanity. You saw us under the tyranny of death. And you gave your son and by his one act of righteousness, life comes in and life overcomes death. We thank you that we in Christ might reign in life. We thank you for the hope that you hold out. We thank you for your great victory. We thank you that grace reigns. And may that bring us great comfort. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.